say welcome to if you've come this far uh this is a our podcast where my buddy sean and i uh convince interesting people who are thinking about how to make life more meaningful uh come on the show and just have a conversation with us about all sorts of things um and uh uh this week we have uh, a guy who's pretty pretty freaking accomplished uh michael clinton yeah it's funny that you were you used the word convinced to come on and talk to us at some point michael had to be sitting there thinking what am i talking to these guys for <laughs> so, so, so so i think as i told you so i read I, I read a piece in men's health from this guy michael clinton about um roaring into the second half of your life and this is based on a book that he he wrote called roar um and you know this guy so he's very accomplished right i mean he he was the publisher of gq at 32 he ran hearst publishing for uh over a decade um he (laughs) he does more shit it's unbelievable i mean just uh, just going nonstop. And um, so after I read the article, I picked up the book, read it, thought it was um, really interesting for anyone at any age. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I thought it would be really interesting. He's a very interesting cat and I thought it would be great to have him on and talk with us. And, and we covered a lot of bases for sure. Yeah. It's um, you, you know, you and I are always, sort of healthily skeptical of, of, of frameworks and yes. anything that even remotely resembles a framework. Um, but, uh, but, but like this question of, of how to move into the second half of your life or how to rethink how your life is going and, and what yeah. you might want to change about it is something that I'm not sure if I've met anyone who's immune to that. Right. So, For sure. so it's, right. it's, it's a completely, um, super worthy topic. And, um, you know, and, you know, look, we just had Dave down on the show who is sort of like making the transition and I guess roaring into the second half of his life, um, with a lot of sense of purpose. And so, um, it's funny that these two are back to back and that's completely coincidental. I I just got to, you know, I just got a sense, you know, in reading the book and being with Michael that it's like, you can do anything. I mean, it's kind of like you can do anything you want to do and, you know, what's the intention and don't let anything be a barrier. And he's obviously using age as, as that barrier, but I mean, I think it applies for anyone. Don't, don't let anything be an area, get after a barrier, get after it. And um, I just think it's a, you know, powerful message. Yeah, we, we did we did start to touch on with with Michael a, a little bit this idea of of the amount of risk that each individual can yes. can assume, right? Um, yep. Because uh, some folks don't have the luxury, uh, like for example, that Dave has or that Michael has. Um, um, but it doesn't mean that that all the lessons here are are no longer applicable. And see, Agreed. my dog seems to agree with me. I don't know if you can hear yes. my dog, but uh, yeah, yes. she's, she's roaring towards the front door right now. She's <laughs> nice tie-in. Nice tie-in. You're quick. I know. Quick. See that? With, it's, yeah. it's in the morning. Yeah, even too. with a head cold. So Michael like helped Oprah start her magazine. I mean, he. I mean, he's been all around. I mean, been all around the world. I mean, what did he say? He's been to 127 countries, I think. Uh, run a marathon in each continent. I mean, and he's 68. Yeah. 
Uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully, hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation. Here's Michael. Are you a Phillies fan or a Pirates fan? No, I'm a I'm a poor Pirates fan. It's been a long time since the I Pirates. Mean, aren't Phillies sort of poor fans as well by definition? Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I'm so sick of the Boston Red Sox. I'm so sick of. Uh oh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Who is it? That's what that's where we're starting from. No, I have this <laughs> yeah. running gag. I have this running gag with um, with some friends, but I do like the Cubs. Okay, come on, we'll go for that. But no, I'm more of a Steelers fan myself because you yeah. know in Pittsburgh, where I'm from, we're weaned on football for breakfast. So, well, so yeah, we're off to a tough start because we got a Red Sox <laughs> fan over here, and I grew up a Bengals fan. So, oh yeah, uh, okay, so we, yeah, oh, right. we're, we're really, in we're really, and we're really <laughs> in our corners. We'll find common ground, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I I, I know we will. Um. So, uh, and you're so you you live in Pittsburgh still? Is that where you're? No, no I'm. I live in New York City. I came here uh, right out of college, where I started my publishing career, and I live in the city and out in. Uh, I'm usually out at the beach this time of year, but I had to come into the city today to take care of some stuff. I've got a family invasion tomorrow. Um, and then we're all heading to the UK. Fortunately, hopefully, when the heat wave's over um on the weekend so we got together i think chris knows this uh after i read the piece in men's health about roar um really intrigued thought it'd be great for our listeners to hear more about it um you're a very accomplished engaging guy and i think uh, i think there's going to be a great conversation so we're looking forward to it so maybe maybe start with why i mean i you know you talk about it in the book which people can read um, but why, you know, why write this book and maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, again, from your perspective, what it's about. Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's one that I often get. And I think that, you know, where, where I, it really started as a, um, sort of a last lecture to my whole management group. Um, I was stepping out of the day to day and I was out for a run in Central Park here in New York. As you know, I'm a long distance runner and I was trying to think of a way that I could really leave sort of a tight 15 minute message to 180 people um, on a session, a live session, this is pre-pandemic. And um, I came up with the ROAR concept and the ROAR acronym in my head. It was much, much more um, simplified than you saw it in the book. But when I gave the story to the team, you know, I got a huge amount of input and everyone's like, you should write a book. You should, you know, you should really build this out. So. So what was sort of happening at the same time is I was reading a lot of things about, you know, post main career and everything was about winding down. And I thought this is kind of crazy because, you know, I don't want to wind down. I'm just kind of getting started. And, you know, what I realized when I was doing my homework is that, you know, if you're 50 today and you're healthy, you can live to be 90 or even a hundred. So the script that we've been given by our culture, our parents, everybody around us kind of really becoming outdated very quickly. Um, it's just not, doesn't mean anything anymore if you're gonna to live to be you know, another 30, 40 years. So retire as we know it, it should be banished and rewire is the new mm -hmm. word because you can do lots of other things, new, new jobs, mm -hmm. new careers, back to school, launch a business, you know, on and on and on. And so, I wanted to put a spotlight around this idea and also to talk to people who were sort of people who've done it, 
So I interviewed 40 people who did amazing things at 50, 60 plus, a whole new life that was setting them off to a very different kind of second half. So it was about the wind up and about the possibilities of what can be next versus the wind down. Yeah. yeah. So, and, so, and so real quick, though, Sean, to be clear, yeah. Michael, so uh, back to the why you were getting ready to get, you wanted to give a last lecture because yeah. of a transition that you were going through at the time. You were leaving, you. Or? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, I was stepping out of a day to day career, 40 years in the magazine publishing business. I was the president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. We have Car and Driver, Men's Health, Esquire, Popular Mechanics for the guys. <laughs> A lot of women's magazines. We have uh, more women's magazines. We have Oprah. We had Oprah, Oprah. We launched Oprah's magazine. We have, you know, uh, House Beautiful, Elle, Good Housekeeping. So, you know, I had had a spectacular career. I was the publisher of GQ in my younger days, and so, but I was kind of ready to step out into the next, the next thing. And I already had a few ideas as to what the next thing was going to be. Um, I was just ready to kind of, you know, say the day-to-day thing I'm kind of done with. And and so your this last this draft last lecture that you were fixing to deliver was the process effectively, although not maybe cleaned up quite as much as you did for the book. That's the process you had gone through as you were trying to figure out what next. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I mean, one of the things that I write about, and we can chat about the the acronym, but one of the things that's I think really important to all of us is what I'll call lifelong learning. Uh, we've, we've got everything we learn becomes you know, antiquated a year later, right? Mm-hmm. So there are so many ways to learn new things from certificates and courses and MOOCs and you know, so forth. And I, I was always interested in philanthropy. I've got a lot of engagement in the philanthropy world. So I made a big decision in my 60s to go back to school and get a master's degree at Columbia in nonprofit philanthropy. And that was a big bite of the apple because that's 12 courses you know tests quizzes papers all this crazy stuff that we haven't done or i hadn't done you know since i went to graduate school you know 30 years earlier so i already knew that i was going to go go back to school i already knew that in my company i was going to transition and do some work for our ceo i knew i wanted to go back to my journalism roots and so, you know, as you know, I now have a column in Men's Health Magazine. I'm writing for Esquire. I just, I just wrote a piece for Car and Driver um, about how the automotive manufacturers are addressing in software and hardware the, um, the aging population for those who are going to live longer and want to drive longer. Um, so, you know, I'm back to my journalism roots. Uh, the book sort of played into my journalism roots. So, you know, I was sort of putting together a portfolio of activities in my own head. Um, So yeah, the original lecture, I guess, had a dual purpose for my team, but also for me. And then it kind of evolved into the book. So that was, that's a great way to, you know, encapsulate it. Well, shit, I can tell we're not going to have enough time already because... Yeah, I'm right. I know. I mean, I don't leave for for London for a few more days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, by the end of this podcast, you have to tell me which EV I should buy uh, because I'm dying to have an EV. Anyway, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. So uh, just because you mentioned um, the study in philanthropy, so maybe just since we're on it, talk a little bit about your, your nonprofit and the foundation that you have. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, I've always been involved in in nonprofits. I've, I was the chairman of the Magazine Publishers of America. I was the chairman of 
of something called Volunteers of America in Greater New York. We service the homeless community, working with the city, you know, many others. Uh, I'm on the boards of Pace University in New York and the International Center of Photography. But a group of friends and I 10 years ago started a, a foundation called Circle of Generosity. And our mission is to give random acts of kindness to families and individuals in need. So we might pay six months rent for someone if they're about to be evicted. Mm -hmm. Or if there is a tornado that comes through a community, we may give, you know, a, a $5,000 grant of Home Depot cards to that family to start getting themselves back together. I just had the, an amazing experience. I, I went to Poland um, and did a humanitarian mission in the Ukrainian refugee community. I spent a week in, in Poznan, Poland, uh, which was phenomenal. I uh, was a volunteer, but I also met with some NGOs to give some grants to you know, real local uh, efforts on the ground there in a city, in the city, Poznan, Poland. So um, I've always felt that, in fact, my, my, my uh, October column in Men's Health is going to be about service and the importance of giving back as mm -hmm. part of being a man, part of being a human, part of being a, a, a whole person. We all have to think of ways in our own way that we can give back. So it's always been a thread in, in, in my life. So COG, Circle Generosity, which is 12 years old now, um, you know, we're small and mighty. We're like a little engine that could. We give, a, give away uh, money on a monthly basis. And it's very, it's mm -hmm. very enriching. Very enriching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back in the day, I was a consumer of both Esquire and GQ. Okay. Uh, which one was the best? Which one's better? <laughs> are they competitors or, or are they unique? Well, they, they, they're lightly competitors. I mean, in the day when I was back at GQ, they were competitors because the internet didn't exist and all the social media right. sites and all the, the men's sites and all of that. So that, that, that was where you got content. GQ always skewed younger. It was really mm -hmm. for sort of that 18 to 34 year old guy as he was figuring it all out. You know, Esquire was for the more established guy. You know, men's health is is a broad swath, but they're sort of, um, you know, mm -hmm. they, they can go 18 to 49 plus yeah. because it's yeah. a different, su different subject. But, um, you know, the, the thinking man's book ultimately was Esquire as you became, you got a little more yeah. seasoning. You know, a lot of people say men don't become interesting until they turn 40. You know, they've been slapped around a little bit. They, you know, <laughs> they've, they've, you know, screwed up. They've made mistakes. They got a little, I get a little tread on them. And so <laughs> all, the more, say, all the more important to read Roar then. There right? you go. I mean, you yeah, go. right. We're just coming into our own. Right, right. I was going to say 40 is generous, actually. Maybe oh, okay. I'm, I'm still go. working on <laughs> well, becoming well, you're, interesting. You're right. If you're going to live to be 90 or 100, 40, you're still a puppy. That's right. So, Michael, um, it just occurred to me that because of your background, like, you know exactly who your consumer is for, you know, for probably everything you do. Right. So for the book, I mean, obviously I can guess on the age demographic what you were aiming for. Are there any other demographic identifiers that, that you think were going to buy this book and yeah, have well, maybe bought the book? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, my core demo when I really conceptualized the book was 45 to 65. Because I think that's the moment in a, in, a, in a man's life where he has come into his own. You know, I like to scrap, um, you know, I, this is actually in our... I hate to keep plugging men's health, but in the September column, we talk about stop talking about midlife crisis and start talking about midlife awakening. Because mm -hmm. if you're a 45 year old guy, you've now lived an adult life. 
you, you have a good sense, hopefully, of who you are, what you're good at, what you're not good at. You may have been a father already and your kids are almost, you know, heading out. Um, you know, you may, you're at a real interesting midpoint. So there's a lot of change you can make from 45 to 65 for a whole host of reasons that we talk about in the book. But what's happened along the way, which is kind of funny, I've got 70 somethings telling me how much I love the book. And I have 30 somethings telling me how much I love the book. I just had a, a young guy who's like 31 who said, I read your book and it's like my roadmap for my future. I'm like, okay, I'll, t- I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, I got to I gotta say that. I mean, you're absolutely right. You have to target a specific, a specific yeah. segment or demographic. But the messages in this book are for anyone. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, really. At any stage, I really think in any stage of life. Yeah, if no, you strip away you. the, hey, if you're if you're going through that transition and you just look at some of the key messages, yeah, I mean, to you. me, what it screams is be intentional about your life. Right. Be intentional. Right. Intentional. Um, great. I, I was at a, I gave I've been giving a lot of talks around the country, traveling around the country. I gave a talk on Saturday and someone come up to me and said, you know, your book to me, he had read the book and said, your book to me is like, what color is your parachute for the 40 plus set? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will. That. You talk, you talk in the book, your guilty pleasure is, self, yeah, is the self-help, that. self-help genre. So I mean, we all remember what book. yeah, we all remember what colors your parachute, right? Mm, sure do. So um, so yeah, I'm like that, yeah, no, that's good. But I think there's there's um, you know, what I love about the book is it's not homework, it's informative, it's entertaining, it's inspirational, it's some great tools and resources. It's not your typical, you know, wah, 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 I think. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. feedback I get from, you know, people who have been reading it. I would agree. Uh, so let's go through the acronym. So we talk about, and, and I have to say that I do, that I'm still thinking about opening this podcast when we produce with Katy Perry. I just, oh, the minute I saw it, I'm like, I mean, <laughs> why not? Chris why doesn't not? even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I do. I actually about. do know what you're talking about, and I also know that we can't do that because we'd have to. We'd get. We, it would get do it shut for like down. Forty seconds. Yeah. Can't we? yeah, I think we can do it for like forty seconds. Yeah, I don't think it's public domain, but who knows? Um, so the acronym, Michael. Yeah. So so the acronym. First of all, the word roar I love because it's a very action, positive, future leaning kind of word, and it is. Um, so it just it, it appealed to me in my in my uh, you know brain the way I I think uh, you know the first R which is the reimagination process you know we integrate nutrition into our lives fitness into our lives certain behaviors that are important to us into our lives and I, I one of the messages in the book is you you should integrate you know a reimagining of yourself as an ongoing process that you're doing daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, because it never, it never ends. And so you can't just get frozen in time um, or else you're going to lose. So, you know, that is, uh, so what is your favorite future is one of the questions we pose. And in the context of reimagining ourselves, there's a clarion call for the, for the culture to reimagine aging and living longer because of all the things we talked about earlier. And we're bombarded with tons of messages that um, you know, lead to self-imposed ageism as opposed to what are the possibilities that I can have. So this, uh, the first R is really all about, all about that. The O is about owning your numbers because owning your numbers is owning your well-being. 
And the first number is your health number. And it is, um, it's shocking to me how many 50 year olds I meet and I ask them, what's your blood pressure? What's your heart rate? What's your core health? They're clueless to it, which is really scary because, you know, all things lead to your best health um, and your financial well being. If you're going to live to be 90 and pensions are gone and 401ks, et cetera, and you have to become your own independent financial entity, how are you going to? fund yourself, your family, et cetera, to live to be 90. And if you don't have a path to figure that out, then, you know, you're going to be really in a tough place as you're 80 and not having the economic wherewithal. I mean, the country's going to go into a big crisis anyway with this because there are 10,000 people a day turning 65 and one, mm-hmm. one in five people in 2040, 20. 2040 is going to be 65 plus the the cohort think about this in 2040 the millennials will be 44 to 57 mm-hmm. they're going to be mm-hmm. 50 plus the millennials mm-hmm. those those sweet little darlings that we all love to get <laughs> to <laughs> so you know the country is going through a massive shift of 50 plus 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 and if you don't own your fundamental health and your financial well-being, you're going to really be in a, in a tough place because you, the 60-year work life is here, not for me, but for Gen X and millennials, they're going to be working 60 years as career. And it's not going to be a linear career the way mine was. There'll be a lot of different careers that you might have, but part of that will go with your financial well-being. Then you know, own your age, own your own your uh, your own your number. I mean, be, sixty is the new sixty. Stop saying sixty mm-hmm. is the new forty. I mean, look mm-hmm. at all the amazing role models out there who you know, Jennifer Lopez in her fifties, Lenny Kravitz is going to be sixty, Sting seventy, Mick Jagger still running around the stage like a maniac at seventy eight. You know, the the images of people fifty plus are dramatically different, and we need to sort of embrace that this is what what 60 can look like. When, when I turned 60, I went to uh, Antarctica and ran a marathon and finished my seven marathons on fe- seven continents. And I'm like, this is 60. This is what you do. This is what you can do when you're 60, if, if you want to. And then the, the other last thing to own is, you know, we're all, we all have an end date. And this gets back to a comment that you made earlier, Sean, you know, I think about this every day. I mean, I could you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know, I could not wake up tomorrow. And, you know, that is, um, you know, we don't know when our end date is, but you got to own that you're going to have an end date. Um, and are you doing all the thing? Are you having intent to live the life you want to live and do the things you want to do? And so being conscious that, of that end date. This is a, a question that I had um, for you after reading that piece. Do you, are you okay with that? Are you okay with death that well, you might think, not wake up tomorrow? Yeah. Well, are are we ever? I, you know, we're ego-driven human beings, so it's hard. You know, we can't say we embrace it. But here's a here's a fun little fact. I I'm the grandson of of a of an undertaker. <laughs> so, <laughs> are you really? So remember, remember, yeah. remember six yes. feet under. Remember six feet yeah. under. <laughs> yes. So in in our family, death was somewhat normalized because it was a family business. And, you know, my grandparents lived upstairs and the, and the funeral chapels were downstairs. And so 
you know, as a very young boy, I was introduced to death as, you know, a very normal thing. And I think that gave me a perspective that others may not have, you know, had. Um, but no, I think all of us fear death to an extent, which, but I mm -hmm. think the key is to, is to th th being in the present and being in the now and doing the things that are important to you, which I'll get to in my, my fourth R, because there's a part of yep. that there, yep. but yeah, yep. I mean, I think that's, um, that's, that's, that's certainly part of it. Um, should I go on? Yes. Yeah. So the A, the A is the action plan. And that, that's my favorite my favorite chapter actually, because it's about mm -hmm. how do you get stuff done? Like, how do you really do it? Because we all talk yak, 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 you know, I'm going to run a marathon and then someone talks about it and they never do it, but how do you get stuff done? So a lot of good fun tools and resources, but the, the action plan, the core around the action plan is something called, I call life layering mm -hmm. and life layering is when, you know, I say to someone, step out of your definition of, being an employee, step out of your definition of being a parent, step out of your definition of being a spouse, a husband, a wife, a partner. Okay, who are you? You know, who are you now? What are your what are your individual personas? Like, let's put that other stuff as table stakes. Those are those are givens. But how do you build a different kind of life about building your own personas? So for me, you know, when I was 39, publisher of GQ great family life, personal life. I said, I've got an adventure gene in me. And I started to um, think about what I was going to do. So I went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, I uh, went to race car driving school. I took a flying lesson. And I said, my 40th year is going to be my adventure year. And I became a pilot. I climbed, I've climbed many mountains, but I, I decided that it was going to become an, I was going to add an adventure layer to my life on top of my personal life, my work life, my professional life. And that layer has been operating now for, you know, over 25 years, I'm 68. So 68 is a new 68. And, you know, that, that adventure layer has been operating for, for 28 years. And I could regale you with, you know, an hour's worth of main adventures that I've had. And then when I was in my fifties, I added another layer, my sixties, another layer. So you end up, you know, men in particular, they get wrapped up in defining what they do as who they are, mm -hmm. as opposed to who are they or who are we as individuals. So when I stepped out of a very big job, powerful C-suite job with views of Central Park and the 43rd floor of a big fancy office building in New York City, you know, I could have easily gone off the cliff because I had all the trappings, right? But... I was able to say, oh, I'm an adventure traveler, I'm a marathon runner, I'm a writer, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this. And I had all these personas that I had developed, you know, in addition to my family life, my personal life, et cetera. And I think it's really important, especially for men, especially, you know, when we, because we all know the story. I was just hearing one this morning of a guy who was telling me when his father retired, you know, he was lost his in his own mind, his own relevancy, and he, you know, was dead in a few years. He just, you know, withered away. He had no interests. He had no involvement. And I think it's an important thing for um, for men and women, but to to build these personas. So life layering is how you do that. And to me, that's my favorite part of the book. Um, and then the final R, which is reassessing your relationships. 
starting with yourself. Are you, are you doing, are you living the life you want to live? And that's hard to really like take a hard dissection of where you are at this point in your life. And if you're not living the life you want to live, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, we go into, um, into that discussion and how you can go there and build a support system around you to, to get there. And it, it may not be popular um, within your circle when you make a big announcement that you're going to quit your job as one guy in the book did. He quit his job as a big Wall Street executive and wanted to go and teach math in the inner city schools and decided to go get a degree in adolescent education. Well, there goes that income <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. from Wall Street to teaching math in inner city school is, you know, but he said, I need to do this for my own self. I mean, I abandoned this when I was in my 20s because, you know, I abandoned what I really wanted to do because I was told I need to be a businessman and go to Wall Street and make money. And it's been gnawing at me for 25 years or whatever. And I can't live this way anymore. But, you know, his wife fortunately supported him in a big way. And, you know, he is very happy doing what he's doing now. So getting the people around you. And so that that process. And, and like I said, there are a lot of tools in the book in terms of how you go through the process. How's it's, that? It's, for, how's that for the? Uh, that's for, great. Great. And so now there's a lot of questions around all those. Now that you've laid that out. So, Chris, well, you, you want to go first? Well, you yeah, if one? you don't if, if you don't mind. Um, so. Um, I mean, the list, it's helpful for the listener. We, of course, read your book. However, um, I don't, maybe you talked about this. And if, if you did, and I missed it, I apologize. But it's only now occurring to me that, that, the, that the four letters in this acronym aren't linear. This is an iterative process, I, I, I think is what I'm hearing you saying. Because one thing that occurred to me was, look, look, everyone has their own, everyone has a different level of risk aversion. Everyone has a different size balance sheet. And different size income statement for that matter. Um, and so, for example, the example of the guy who decided to leave Wall Street and go teach elementary school, and I work in the teacher business, uh, the nonprofit world, you, you ain't generating wealth that way, right? right. Um, so for him, he would have been like, okay, well, that's, I'm down at the end of the ROAR uh, checklist here, but now I got to go back up and own my numbers and, and decide whether or not I can even do that. So I guess my question sort of buried in this whole, you know, meandering that I'm doing is, is that like, is there, how should people evaluate risk as they're trying to figure out their, their next big turn in life? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, first of all, we're, we live in a fast paced world and we think the solutions are going to be made over a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I learned in talking to all these people who went through this iterative process and really measured their level of risk in all of their various decisions is they did it over a course of one to two years. So you really dissect all the pieces over a period of one to two years and you have to get your head there first and the decision what you want to do before you put the practical steps into place. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a woman who was a journalist um, in her 50s, had been a journalist for her whole career, and she realized that the newspaper industry was really going through its layoffs, et cetera, and she was single, um, d- divorced, daughter was grown up, and she said, I've got to find a way to, to move myself into another direction. And she came across a... Um, a, a, a degree in um, it's sort of psych- a form of psychology, and I'm going to forget the name of the psychology, but it required, she ultimately decided she was going to do it. 
She sold her house so she could fund it. Mm-hmm. She moved into a two bedroom apartment with a roommate so she could afford it. It required her to, she lived in the Southwest. It required her to fly to California X number of times a year over two years. She ultimately got the degree and ultimately moved into um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation counseling in the state that she lives in. And she said, you know, I can do this till I'm 90. And uh, by the way, she met a guy along the way and she's married to him. And so she got remarried too. So all all the pieces kind of fell into place. And she's in her early 60s now. But she really went in that in that instance, she decided I'm going to sell my house. She said, my financial advisor advised against everything I knew. Uh, <laughs> of course. She said, but I he at the same time, he also said, but I, I get why you're doing it. So if you don't do it, you know, you're going to be, you know, what are you going to do with yourself when your layoff comes, you know, as a journalist? So I think that really good, good inspiration about how people made decisions to and assess the risk before they made the practical, practical decisions. That's super helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening to If You've Come This Far. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Judson and Moore, uh, my favorite distillers of whiskey who happen to be right here in Chicago in the Avondale neighborhood. Colin and Elise have built just a beautiful distillery in what was once a leather tannery. Uh, they make Uh, Two different bourbons, a fantastic rye whiskey, and a truly great single malt that has somewhat unexpectedly become this rye lover's favorite. So these two and their great team uh, that they've assembled are not likely to mention that their whiskeys have already won awards, but I will. Uh, And it turns out that they also uh, bring excellent live music into their bar on a regular basis. So... Please check them out at judsonandmore.com. That's all one word, Judson and Moore. The Moore has two O's. Maybe we'll see you there for a uh, Manhattan. I think in the introduction about the, you know, looking at the supposed tos and the shoulds and the mights and, mm-hmm. and sort of, a, you know, when you're saying those words, kind of abandon them. Um and and I'm and, you know and I'm more on the risk side than the than the not risk side and uh, a risk averse side, and that's I think that's a really important process you have to go through right is look at w- what's making me do what I'm doing that right. isn't what I want to do right um, right no for for sure I think we we put a lot of um, self imposed stuff on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a sort of an, an odd example. You know, I was uh, I came from a very poor working class family in Pittsburgh. And, you know, this is why it was important to tell my my personal story in the book, because, you know, I can come across as some. Well, yeah, he's this fancy guy in New York. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? <laughs> if you really go back to the beginning of the story, it ain't so pretty. Um, and, you know, when I was growing up and went to a city high school, there were 350 kids in the graduating class. And I think 10 of us went to college. And, you know, most people in the neighborhood, their dads and their uncles and grandfathers worked in the steel mills. Mm-hmm. And the steel mill was a perfectly good job. You know, it was paid well and you could live a decent life. And, you know, but the steel mill, the steel mills went away. And I remember even talking to friends of mine who were in their early 30s, they were sort of, they were sort of mad that this happened to them and I would have conversations with them and say, 
but now you have an opportunity to pivot and do something else. But there was always a, well, I can't because of this or that or whatever, whatever. It was self-imposed. I mean, at, they, they, were, they were able to go and do things, but they couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, some did, some went on to do you know, other things and you know, had their own early midlife awakening. But you know, you have to be brutal with yourself. You have to really be brutal with yourself to say, this is where I am and how do I, how do I move forward if I'm not happy with one piece of my life in some, in some area? So yeah, it's, uh, it's that process. I, I have to admit, I had. Well, I just want to. I just want to talk about Michael's upbringing real quick. He tell he tells a story yeah. in the book about how his mom would forego makeup for weeks um, in order to help feed the family. And I have to admit that I had this reaction, which I talk to my wife and my girls about often, which is, you know, you're forced into this box where you got to have this makeup, and it's costs a lot of money, and it's just ridiculous. And me and and you know how 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 awful that is that women are put in that box, but that your mom would forego her makeup. Yeah, of course we never knew it yes. until much yeah. later. You know, we never yeah. knew it. She never yeah. complained about it. I mean, she was you know did what she needed to do to feed her kids and clothe them and all the yeah. above. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was going to say um, in, in my own sort of I guess risk assessment you would have to include the uncertainty of whether or not you're going to succeed in whatever it is you try next. So I'm thinking of like all your, your 340 classmates who were bummed about the steel mills closing, they were probably scared to death too. Right. Yeah. 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 And sure. so that that's, you know, it's kind of human nature. I think it's a little bit, which is what I like about what you write about, which is like, Hey, let's, you know, th that's why I think roar made for a really good acronym because you're like, okay, let's, you know, let's, you know, pick ourselves up here and, and, and lift our head out of the weeds and see what other possibilities there. So anyway, um, I just want to acknowledge, but that. God, it's, it's scary to, to, to it's scary. No, it's, it's, well, by the way, it's scary at any age, you know, yeah. It, yeah. it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary when your kids leave. It's scary when your spouse leaves. It's scary when you're 80 and all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, ailments. I mean, it's scary and I think that's why we have to sort of learn that the, it's in the first R, that, that reimagining process is that it's a constant state. Nothing is going to be static. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to face lots of different things that, that you weren't planning on or things are going to be thrown at you. Your company is going to be sold. You're going to be downsized. You're going to be, you always have to be thinking proactively about you know, what do I want? What do I need? What's the next step? How do I keep learning? How do I keep adding? How do I keep experiencing? And by the way, you don't have to have a lot of money to go through that. Um, because there's, if you want to get re-schooled re, re or retooled or reskilled, there's lots of, lots of money around to do that. There's a, there was a woman in the book I interviewed, she at 53 decided she was going to become a medical doctor. And um, mm -hmm. you may recall the story. I mean, she got it all mm -hmm. funded through scholarships and you know, you got to be, you got to be, um, what's the word? Um, industrious. Industrious. Of, yeah, that's know, what I was finding, finding where the opportunities are um, and never stop and never stop. But guys, when you, when we talk about limitations, I mean, you know, one is the, is the looking at the future and, and assessing that risk. But one of the big data points for me in the book, talk about the survey that you did and 40 plus percent of the folks that responded 
um, that they dwell, what limits them is dwelling on mistakes or the past. Right. So, so shit that they can't do anything about because it's already done right. inhibits their ability to do things moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, you make this point and, and, and I totally agree with it. I mean, I think it's, you, you got to let go of that stuff and, and you make that point, let go. But how would you advise someone to let right. go? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you know, it's easy for us to say it's, yeah. and it can be hard to do. Yeah, I think, well, I'll give you my technique. You know, I, I kind of boil it down. I keep boiling it, boiling it, boiling it down and keep asking myself, why won't I let this go? You know, I keep questioning mm -hmm. myself, why won't I let this go? Why can't I get yeah. on the other side of this? Why can't I take this and obliterate it into a million little pieces? And what, what my technique is, is once I boil it down to a packageable thing, <laughs> I go out for my long run mm -hmm. and I'm out on a long training run for a marathon, which I still run. And I kind of release it into the wind. I have this sort of um, uh, metaphysical approach to it. I take pieces of it and throw it out into the wind. And it's my way of um, dissolving it, dissolving it, dissolving it out. And I, I taught myself that it's almost like running, running meditation in a form. I've taught myself that. The other thing I've taught myself is um, I live in New York City and there's a particular place where I go to walk where I have to make a big decision. And I, and I know the, the place where I'm gonna go and I make the, the decision on that, on that walk and I come back and I say, that's the decision. And I've taken all the, all the, the SWOT analysis and the pluses and the minuses. And you know I, I, I've talked myself into and taught myself that when I make a decision, at a future date, I might say that was a wrong decision, but all I know is what I know today. And I have to stand by my decision and feel good about it. And so that also is another form of, 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 of what you're talking about. So I think we teach ourselves individually these, these things that work for us. And those are kinds of the things that work for me. Yeah, my, mine is a sitting meditation, actually. Yeah, okay. Chris, Chris, Chris I... We lost you. Couldn't you? Sorry, sorry. My, I just, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that Sean's a big meditator and I have found that too. Um, I, I want to know what the place is. I don't want to be sure it's not a pub that you go to make your big, big decisions. <laughs> well, I'm Irish, so you never know. It could be. Um, actually, it actually what it, where it is, um, I, I live a few blocks in Central Park. So it is up, if you know New York, it's around, it's in front of the Metropolitan Museum of Art up on, mm -hmm. on uh, you know, I live uptown. So it's um, that stretch from sort of 79th Street to 90th Street, which is a very sort of serene, kind of meditative, to Sean's points, kind of, you know, meditative spot. And late mm -hmm. at night, it's, you know, peaceful. And I just, you know, it's a good, you know, um, round tripper. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do the walk. I'm going to come back with the decision. And that's the way it's going to be. I, and you must, I mean, do you, do you keep track of your batting average uh, around decisions you make on that walk? You're like, are you, you know, batting I, like I, 900? I have, I have to say I sleep very well with my decision. <laughs> I have to say I sleep well. I mean, I had to make some tough decisions. I mean, I had a, one thing and I had a job offer many years ago to go move to Paris and run the European operation of the publishing company I work for. And I'm like, wow, man, would I love to do that. I was in the middle of uh, MBA. 
uh, it was, I was getting an MBA, I was in the middle of that. Plus when I really stepped back, it would have been a great two, three year experience, but it would have taken me off my track of what my goal was, was to be a publisher of a major national magazine. And I became the publisher of GQ when I was 34. So I was a young, I was the youngest publisher in the industry and I was a man on a mission. And I knew if I did that, I would have a phenomenal life experience, but I would, I had to weigh the life experience versus the career step and finishing the MBA. And in hindsight, it was the right decision because it propelled me into my industry to get to where I want to go short-term and long-term. Um, someday I'll go live in Paris, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it sounds like, it sounds like you did. And, but you did go through a stage there where you're like, oh, shit, did I make oh, yeah. a decision? Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. I was like melancholy for, you know, a few months. And I was like, yeah, man, I could be doing this. It could be great. Yeah. Man, I was 27. I could be running around Europe. Oh, man, like, why am I doing this? Right. But in my gut, I knew it was the right, the right thing. Yeah. You know, we all know in our gut. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so one other one other point on this discussion, um, regret. So regret comes up in the book as well. Uh, Daniel Pink just wrote a book about the power of regret. Um, being a guy that likes to let go, I'm I'm not about regret. Um, what's your take on that? Uh, you we make these decisions. I mean, you, I think you just said it, and you make these yeah. decisions, and and you just and you go with it, and. Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. You know, um, yeah, I don't live in regret land. Um, yeah. I, I just don't. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, you know, when I was back in that working class high school and the counselor said, well, you can go to Pitt or Penn State or Temple. You know, I was from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to admit that that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. I didn't know what Ivy League was. I mean, that's, I, I, I you know, not that, as I got a little older, I was like, gee, that would have been nice to have an Ivy League education just because, you know, the experience of it. Well, I went to an Ivy League school when I was 65. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I said to my yeah. I said to my father, Dad, it took me 65 years to get an Ivy League education. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. your dad is how tell the listeners how old your dad is. Yeah, he'll be 90. He's 90. Uh, yeah. He's great. He's great. But you know, that, that was more of like a fun personal goal. It wasn't like I was obsessing over that sure. over the years. It was just kind of like a fun credential. And in case you hadn't figured it out yet, I'm a fairly uh, type A kind of person. So um, <laughs> what? No, 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 no. Yeah. You know, Chris, Chris yeah. what, I say to, what I say to people is I'm really annoying yeah. to many people, including yeah. myself, okay. because I am just right. like chop, 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 get it, you know, add these layers and, and, you know, it can be really annoying even to myself. So this is the this is the perfect opening to tell everyone the fact that you tell all your friends, I, I hate brunch. I'm never doing yeah, right. you call it you call it the B word. I'm not doing it. Don't ask me. I'm not going. Yeah. You know, this this gets back to the bigger discussion about editing. You know, it's a big word in my my industry. And I think you have to edit the shit out, pardon my French, that edit the merit out of your life that is irrelevant to, you know, we all waste a lot of friggin' time. We just waste time. Uh, I'm, I'm the same, you know, in the same uh, category. I can find myself like, how did I just waste those three hours? Like looking at my friggin' phone with stuff that was irrelevant. And, you know, we all find ourselves um, wasting time. So 
I, I think as you as you live longer, you start realizing that you know utilizing the present moment and the present moments is really important with the people you want to be with, doing the things you want to do, doing doing something productive. So yeah, I hate brunch because I don't want to be drinking at at eleven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't want to be having stupid conversations for four hours. I'd rather be out running or I'm taking um, a couple of kids paddle bar paddle boarding. Um, this week, I'd rather be out, you know, doing something different yeah. and fun. So yeah, that that lesson was driven home for me by a principal at an org I used to work at, and she referred to it as weeding. She's like, "We got to weed this garden and get rid of the stuff that's not adding value, so that we can focus more on the stuff that is." And I, I I take that to heart. Yeah, good, very good way of putting it. Are you. I, I, I thought I, I'm waiting for you to ask about wine, Sean. Basically, it's all I'm doing is waiting. For you. <laughs> right, I mean, so you can't get through an hour I, I, with Michael without asking. I told asking Chris about. I was going to take this opportunity that you might be able to help me because I'm a curious guy and I want to continue to learn. So, um, so I've been, a, I've always been a wine drinker. And I, eight months ago, I'm like, you know what? I'm squaring off wine. It wasn't tasting right. It wasn't, it was affecting both my wife and I not well. And so then we just got back from Italy and we're like, well, when we go back to Italy, because we've been to Italy many times before, we can go to Italy and drink wine. And it's like barely nothing. Right. Um, delicious. But so, you know, being in the wine business, sort of, is there a difference between wine in country and wine in the United States? Not really. Do you know? No, not no. really. I think it's just the romance and the, the environment of being uh-huh. in sitting on some crazy, beautiful villa, you know, or Man. hotel lounge looking out. The wine always tastes better. Uh, you know, I, I have, uh, as you reference, I became an accidental winemaker in one of my annoying um, moments where I decided I was going to also do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, Malbec, um, the Malbec always tastes better when I'm down in the vineyard, you know, overlooking the the whole, you know, space of the vineyard and all of that. So, so yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's the intoxication me. of the whole experience. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, it's just me. Yeah. yeah it's, just you. it's just, it's you. not just you though. You, go right? with it. Everybody. you, you gotta just go with it, Sean. You gotta just yeah. go with it. Yeah, um, Michael. We, we at, the, at the end of these podcasts, we ask a few like inside the actor studio questions. But oh, I, I'm sure I've got a couple more. I'm sure Sean yeah, yeah, yeah. before we get there. Yeah, yes. I I have to know, and 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 we're kind of hopefully it's okay with you. We're getting away from the book a little bit, but you, I don't know anyone who's traveled more than you. I mean, literally. And I was in the navy for Christ's sake. Yeah. But um, but I how what's your country count up to right now? 150, one fifty. One one twenty four. 124. 124. What what are the three countries that you haven't yet been to that are at the top of your list? Ah, good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I want to go to Papua New Guinea just because I think mm. that, you know, it's very exotic and it's it's very unique. Um, you know, I've been to Africa multiple times, but I've not gone to see the gorillas yet. So I'd like to go to to Rwanda, uh, probably. Next year, if all goes well and the world is good in my in my I'm physically all good, I'm going to be going to um, hike the Everest base camp and run a marathon down, which is uh, an annual event they do. It's a fundraiser. And um, 
it is so that part of the I've been to Nepal, but I've not been to up through that part of the world. So I've got a small posse who we're going to do that together. And it's uh, mid-May of 2023. So, yeah. I I laugh about this. We interviewed uh, someone recently who is awesome. This woman, she's an academic and she played two sports in college. And and we were kind of like, wow, you've done, you do so much. And she joked about how all of her friends are kind of like, what does it have to be hard for you to want to do it? (laughs) And I'm sitting here looking, listening to you going, isn't it enough just to go to Everest base camp? Now you got to fucking run. This falls under the annoying factor again. Um, But, but I think as I have, you know, lived my, my life, what I come to realize is, is more is better, more experience, more, I don't mean more things. I mean, more experiences, more knowledge, more learning, more philanthropy, more adventure, um, you know, is better because it makes us better people and it gives us a perspective on the world and on ourselves. So yeah, bring it on. Yeah, no, and I, I'm not, I, I, I'm certainly not Rick. I'm, I'm more, uh, it just, the, it, it's intimidating to me, the idea <laughs> of, of, cause how do you, what, what do you, tra- where do you train for a Colorado? I guess you'll go and yeah, train. You know, it, one of the things that when you do some of this stuff, um, I was telling somebody at breakfast today about a, a Mongolia mountain marathon that I did, which sounds like very daunting. But what I've come to learn in all these experiences is when you do them and you experience them, you experience them, not only are they as scary as you think they are, and not only are you doing them with other interesting people, but you sort of get this skill set. You know, so when I'm thinking about Everest and running the marathon, I'm saying, well, this is what I did when I ran in Antarctica. This is what I did when I hiked in Bhutan. This is what I did when I ran in Mongolia. So I have this, I have this collection of experiences that I'll lean into that, you know, if I had never done anything but run the New York City Marathon, and then all of a sudden I was going to Everest without having all those other experiences and mm-hmm. building blocks, you know, I'd be scared shitless. But, but I have all these other experiences that I can kind of lean into, if you see, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I think the listener is getting perspective on, on Michael's life. I mean, Michael's uh-huh. life. He's yes, type <laughs> A. I think you described it. And when you read the book, you'll be like, holy shit, are you kidding me? You don't. So you don't even really know. And so what's interesting in the book is he reveals that he's had the same personal assistant, executive assistant. I'm not sure what you call Francine for 33 years. Yeah. Right. And right. and as we were kind of putting this together, it was me and Michael. And then all, all of a sudden, Francine showed up on the distribution list. I'm like, OK, here we, <laughs> this is what, this is how it really gets done. She rules. Those, I mean, we, we have to talk about Francine. I mean, I, I mean, how how would you do what you do? I would without her. I, I wouldn't. She is um, incredible, an incredible woman. She's I met her when she was a young single woman in Brooklyn. She now has three daughters who graduated from college. Um, she only wanted to be an assistant over the years. I would say, yeah. Frank, okay, we're gonna put you on this track. We're gonna put you on that track. No, I just wanna do this. She's incredibly efficient, um, gets it all done, three steps ahead of me. Um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have her manage that whole side of my agenda, so to speak. Um, and she's funny as hell. And she is, um, you know, my my family loves talking to her because she's got that Brooklyn accent, which she hasn't gotten rid of. And she's, she's an absolute delight. Just to share her sense of humor. Once I said to her friend, you know, you're like family to me. You're, you're in the will. 
And she said, in the will, I need the money now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, classic. (laughs) So what's the big, 33 years, what's the biggest conflict that you and you and she have and does she boss you around i mean oh, yeah. I, I, she's very bossy are you kidding she's yeah. very bossy. <laughs> she's yeah. like she, what i and, and what i think i said in the book too is she first of all she'll cut right through all the crap and, and give me a, a perspective i'm like why didn't i think that you know about a situation or a person or uh or you know she'll in her own way you know say to me you know he's really an idiot you know you shouldn't be you know listen hey, hey. But yeah, she's um, she's salt of the earth. She really understands people incredibly well, and she she by the way can speak to a senator, and she can speak to a CEO, and she can speak to Oprah, and she can speak to anyone. Um, in a and she's very comfortable in her shoes, and that's really that's really nice. One of a kind. It sounds like yeah, you, you got to uh, hold on to hold on oh, to yeah. them when you find them, right? She, she's I said we're we're connected for life. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Sean, should we, should we proceed with our, yep. our questions? Yep. Michael's been All gracious right. with his time. Yeah, oh, totally. No, I'm thrilled. Yeah. But, but before the questions, so, you know, the name of this podcast is if you've come this far, right. Do do you, does that ring a bell for you at all? Because in your, in the book, you have a quote, Get, Remind you know, me. get busy living or get busy oh, right. dying. Get busy living or get busy dying from the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorites, obviously. So this yep. is this is this is the line from the letter. Right. If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come come a little further. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Further. So I love it. Um, okay, Michael, you probably remember inside the actor studio, James Lipton. Yeah, uh, he's, these been, are... he's been to my house. He's been to my Oh house. my God. <laughs> That's he, awesome. Uh, uh, Pace University, which I mentioned I'm on the board of, um, has a very big uh, performing arts school, one of the best in the country, actually. And we own the actor studio as well. We, they. Yeah. Yeah. My so God, I never thought that would happen with these questions. I never thought you'd get the tie in. I know. It's amazing. We always preface it just to explain it. Anyway. Um, thanks for playing along. We only yeah. have three of them. I don't think they've ever, I don't think we borrowed any of these from James. Um, but here we go. What do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self? Oh, wow. Um, dream. I, I would say dream even bigger than you dream. Mm. Mm. Dream Love even it. bigger than you dream. Second question is, do you have a mantra in life or, or a mantra these days? My mantra these days is rock and roar. Nice. <laughs> nice. Because it's, it's a brand, it's a brand time. It's, mar- it's really a it's really <laughs> a ta- it's really a tagline. That's yeah, we're, we we we're, we're gonna we're gonna launch a business. And so I've been working with a team to launch a business. And I'm saying, okay, let's rock and roar, folks. And um, you know, they love it. So that's my current that's my current mantra of the day. Yeah. Uh, Always okay. a businessman. Always yeah. a businessman. Yeah. The mantra. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last question should be easy for you since you grew up the grandson of an undertaker. Yeah. What do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? Oh, it's so funny you say that. I was just having this discussion with someone. I, I hope that they say he was generous. He was loyal. He was um, available. He was present in my life. Um, 
And it's a great question because one of the tools in the book is mm-hmm. write your own eulogy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, share it with one of your with your wife or your or your spouse or your your kids and say, does this sound like me? Or is this something mm-hmm. that you would say about me? There's a there's a fun game in the book too that you list your five words that are self-identifiers. Mm-hmm. And then you ask 10 people to give you five words, 10 individual people, and then you match them up. And I did it with 12 people and nine of the, nine of the responses was, was generous. And that's a self-identifier. So I think generous is something I work at. Generous of time, mm-hmm. spirit, money, all the above. Um, and so I want to be known as generous. Well, that is the perfect way to end this because you've been generous yeah. with us. Yeah, thank you. For sure. Uh, and we appreciate you. Great. I loved it. It was great talking to you guys. Yeah. Um, really, I'm not in Chicago that often, but if I am, I'll look you up. Um, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah no, that would be great. Cool. Really we cool. won't we won't take you out for wine, but we we've got friends who <laughs> own a brewery and friends who own a distillery, and we'll take. I'm in. Out. I'm in Iron City. <laughs> Iron City <laughs> beer. Do they sell well, Iron City beer? No, I'm they taking. Do not. <laughs> wait, I'm taking them out for brunch. Oh, there you go. <laughs> brunch and wine. No, we when I when I was when I was a kid, you know, you ever hear of a Boilermaker? Oh, sure. sure. Yeah, so yeah. shot in a beer. So, yeah. you know, Iron City beer was the beer of choice in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I don't even make it anymore, quite honestly. And yeah. now you have yeah. all these, you know, you have all these very groovy craft beer places. So, sure. you know, you know, that was, uh, we grew up with Iron City. Iron City. Iron yeah. City. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, best uh, best wishes on your travels. I uh, hope you yeah. have no issues. I uh, yeah. really enjoyed talking with you. Thank Likewise. you so much for your Thank time, you Michael. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. Great. See you guys soon. Go, go hey. Bengals. Go Bengals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take Thanks, care. Michael. Bye-bye. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.